Welcome to Inside the New South Wales Police Force. Real cops and real stories. I'm your host, Adam Shan. This podcast was formerly known as the State Crime Command Investigations. Now we're back with a new expanded format, a weekly journey through all aspects of the work of New South Wales Police. In the coming weeks, I'll take you into live investigations in homicides, organised crime, domestic violence and more, plus the day-to-day business of police. If you have information about any of our stories that might assist, please call Crime Stoppers on 1800 333 000. This podcast is sponsored by Police Bank. No matter where you are on your financial journey, banking with Police Bank means banking where you belong. Whether it's growing your savings, entering the workforce, buying your next home, or simply enjoying what life has to offer, Police Bank has a range of products to suit you at any stage of life. The Homicide Squad is one of the busiest and highest profile in the state. Detective Superintendent Danny Doherty is the face of the team. Today, he discusses what makes an effective homicide detective. And with a colleague, Detective Sergeant Peter Rudens, Danny is seeking information on a brutal unsolved murder in Newcastle from 2005. Uh, My name is Danny Doherty. I'm a Detective Superintendent. Um, commander of the Homicide Squad, State Crime Command. Uh, I've been in New South Wales Police Force for 38 years, uh, joining in January 1985. Most of my career has been in criminal investigation, um, especially in the southwest of Sydney. Um, and lately, uh, for the last uh, three and a half years, I've been the commander of the Homicide Squad. You've got a very successful team of investigators. You've got a lot of homicides in New South Wales and you bring most of them to closure. What makes a successful homicide detective in your team? Success is, uh, is a, a strange and wonderful uh, term. I think that we have, we're lucky to have the investigators in New South Wales at the Homicide Squad. and um, They have such empathy and, and tenacity uh, working on behalf of the community in New South Wales. Uh, it's a major responsibility or significant responsibility to investigate the death of a human being. And uh, the gravity of that is not lost on the investigators. And they are not only standing up in, uh, for someone that can't talk for themselves or stand up for themselves, but also representing uh, a voice for that person, uh, trying to bring justice uh, for that person who's being killed by another human being. The family of the of the victim um, we deal with them on a constant basis and we do our work on behalf of them so i think we need uh at that time in their life it's chaos that's the point i was trying to get to is that homicide investigation is a very emotional one it often captures public imagination there's lots of conflicting evidence lots of often storylines that don't pan out how do you maintain a focus on the goal without an avoiding tunnel vision and keeping all the options open. You have to have open mind uh, at all occasions. You, um, tunnel vision is an issue uh, which we are very mindful of and aware of, and it's taught through our homicide investigators course. Um, you need to have an open mind because what may be seem like an obvious solution or an obvious line of inquiry may not be the right option. So. To have emotion is important, um, but you can't be overzealous. You need to have uh, a rational thought process. 
You need to be able to be uh, passionate without being uh, emotive to the point where you're making irrational decisions. Uh, I think to be an investigator, you have to have uh, large portions of empathy, but you also need to have um, a very rational, calm, uh, meticulous, methodical process in your work. And how many jobs per year are you doing? In terms of homicides that happened um, every year in New South Wales, we we get roughly between 60 to 80 homicides a year. And that's roughly, it hasn't changed, there's a st stable number of homicides. We also have work um, referred to us by the coroner. Um, and at this stage in time, we have just under 500 undetected cases or unsolved cases. Uh, in New South, New South Wales that the uh, unsolved homicide team are working on. So that's a large number of, you know, that's a large number of victims. That's a large number of families that have, that uh, want answers. And, uh, and that's, uh, that's got a challenge on its own. We have a really good relationship, um, you know, with the homicide victim support group in, in, in our capacity uh, as representing that loved one who's, who has died. And, uh, and there's a lot of strategies and a lot of, um, work we do with them to try to ease the, uh, the, the pain and the grief of the family. Uh, but there's never closure. We never say the word closure. Uh, that's something that we never do. And, and, and I, I, we're very acutely aware that families uh, of homicide victims don't want to use that word as well. They, um, they, and I've had many conversations with them over the years and we'll never use that word because it's not closure. It's, it's, it's answers to a, uh, to a crime and, and it's answers of they've been looking for, for in some cases for decades. Because you find yourself also being a buffer zone between media interest, public interest and the families and wild stories that come up in podcasts and media and, and general talk that really impact upon the families themselves. That's correct. It's a point where um, it's probably a good terminology, the buffer word, because we're constantly uh, uh, bombarded with um, requests from media, from um, uh, from executive groups, from uh, from uh, victim advocacy groups, from uh, uh, even um, and through, I suppose, uh, families which quite rightly want answers, but they go through the um, the local uh, member of parliament, or they'll go through, indeed, our executive at the police force and. Um, there's a lot of pressure for us uh, that we need to uh, to buffer, and and we need that's where the calmness comes in. We need to have a measured, tempered approach to all these matters, and in a very emotive time. And you know, only up and recently, we've had the theories of a spouse uh, at for every fresh homicide, and whether it's an organised crime murder that just recently happened, where we have numerous theories that all that all bound and be put out there. Um, or whether it's a matter that was um, 20, 30, 40 years ago. Um, and over the years, the rumour mill comes up and someone else um, comes up with another theory. Um, we have to, you know, we, we know what the facts are. We need to stick to the facts. We need to look, look at what's the evidence. And that's our job. It's not to speculate. And, uh, uh, and, the, and it, there is a fine art between buffering um, uh, speculation and theory or actually working on what is facts and evidence. And it's not always, um, you know, uh, it's those jobs that you just have to put your head down and look at that, the factual uh, evidence that's in front of you, the data that's in front of you. Hopefully, 
uh, there's breakthrough through meticulous police work, not necessarily through um, what you see in a movie or a police show. Do you watch those shows? <laughs> Occasionally. It's very hard to watch sometimes, I'll tell you now, because we, and, and, and I'll sit there sometimes and it's probably, I'm probably the worst uh, person to, uh, to watch a TV show when it's coming to, uh, to speculating around crime theories. But uh, uh, again, it's entertainment and that's what it is sometimes. And there's a, there's a fine line between entertainment um, and what can be, uh, you know, uh, completely off the mark and uh, it, it's used as a, uh, you know, it doesn't actually assist anyone in the process. You know, it's nearly like grief porn. It's a point where people actually want to make a lot of money out of something that's, that's the worst time of someone's life. And uh, and that's probably the, the far end of the spectrum. So one end of the spectrum is that part of it. The other end of the spectrum, people actually do want to help give us assistance. It's important that we do put the message out in the public consciousness because Sometimes these matters take years, and and that's, but they can be, um, you know, with a lot of hard work and getting the right information, they can be solved. I think you make a great point. We could talk all about the cases you'd like to solve, but we have one that's that's on the slate right now that you think is has a good likelihood of being solved. It's the investigation of the murder of Rosalind Ray, who who died in in March two thousand and five, almost eighteen years to the day. Um, why choose Rosalind Ray's case? Of all the cold cases you could do, why is this one one you decided to pursue at this moment? It's because it's a brutal uh, murder of a woman um, in a home at, in, um, in, in the Cooks Hill area of, of Newcastle. Um, we go through many processes um, in relation to how we prioritise our reviews and reinvestigations. And um, the fact that it, it is 18 years ago, and that seems like a long time ago, but in, in, in terms of unsolved homicides, that is still uh, a matter that we is in fresh memory and history. Uh, there's people that are still around that can, who uh, can help us with information. There's family members that still, and, and friends that still want answers. There's a person out there who we believe would still be alive, who's committed this crime. So that's important that we have a solvability and, and at the same time, we have uh, exhibits that are still around. We have lots of information and evidence uh, in terms of uh, coronial briefs and previous investigations that we can rely on. So we make the most of an opportunity where we can. And But um, like all these matters, they're all tragic. Um, however, this is a, a woman that's been uh, brutally murdered in a, in a home and uh, we'd love to provide the answers to the family and friends of uh, Rosalind. And uh, I think that's why it's important that we put it back into the public conscience and um, that, uh, you know, under Strikeforce 402, um, it's been, um, uh, we're reinvestigating and, and we're actively reinvestigating and, and, and we do appeal for people who may have information to come forward. Yeah, because the only time a killer gets away with murder is when they are themselves dead. Um, he, he might have got lucky the last 18 years, but you just have to get lucky once. Um, are you confident? And, and that's right. And it's a point where, you know, it's a point where, uh, as we've already mentioned, with all the, in, in the evolving enhancement in technology and forensic uh, capabilities, we look at the matters that we think we can progress with, with through that um, uh, area. 
but we also look at who is around still that we can re-interview, who, who, who may have information that's never come forward. And it may seem, and for some of those people, it's probably only like yesterday that Rosalind was murdered, um, you know, and, and that's important because something like that never leaves their mind. It's something that's always with them. And I think, uh, you know, it's probably one of, and for Rosalind's family and friends, it's probably one of the worst days of their lives that, uh, when she was brutally murdered. And, and that feeling, I know it's, we're probably resurrecting um, uh, mixed emotions for the family and friends of Rosalind, but I think it's important that we do that because we need to put it back into the public conscience so we can emotively um, get some answers from people and try to f and find out who is actually a, who did this. It's a it's a brutal murder, and, and someone's responsible for this, and they're out there in the community, and we want to be able to bring them to justice, and that and that's what our job is, and that's what we hope to do. It's often said that part of the um, homicide detective's job is the disappointment business, that you have to explain to families that at a certain point you have turned all the stones, and there may not be a result because either the offender's dead or there just isn't the the forensic exhibits and so forth. So is, is that is that the hard part of the job? And I guess for yourselves, for your own, your own crew, when you've got to say to them, okay, we haven't got to the result, we have to move to something else. This is the, the, the you can't just endlessly dwell on one case. That's right. So whilst we never close the case, we may uh, temporarily we've, we've we've run out, we've exhausted all our lines of inquiry. There's we've look we look at a matter and then there's no. Um, exhibits or advancements of um, of any new information, and we have to manage those expectations uh, with the families, with the victims, and the, and the friends of the victims. And that's a difficult part of the job, and that's a very challenging for the investigators. But that's what we do. We have to manage expectations with honest. And I think most people appreciate the honesty and and the transparency that we do uh, that with. But we do it with um, you know complete empathy uh, to their the situation and, and and we're very mindful of uh that whilst we're not uh, uh it probably feels like for the for the families that we are closing the matter we're never closing the matter it just means at this time in space that we can't progress the matter and we will revisit it but also ultimately the police can only do so much if you have information it's incumbent upon you to contact crime stoppers 1-800-333-000 and share what you know now, let's talk to the detective who's the officer in charge of the investigation into the 2005 murder of Rosalind Ray. Police have recently offered a $750,000 reward for information that leads to arrests and a conviction in this case. My name is Detective Sergeant Peter Rudens. Been attached to the Homicide Squad since uh, 2010. You're the officer in charge of Strike Force Oro 2. What is the, the ambition of this the current investigation? It's to solve the murder of Rosalind Ray, who was uh, brutally murdered in her own home uh, in, we believe, around the 19th of March in 2005. Uh, she lived in Layman Street in Corks Hill, which is uh, an inner city suburb of Newcastle, New South Wales. And what do we know about Rosalind? Rosalind was... Well, that was her own home. She was, um, she'd almost paid it off. Uh, she was a very friendly lady. She had a lot of uh, close friends and um, very welcoming. Uh, she'd invite people over quite often. Uh, she, she was living with a, with a flatmate at the time. She was uh, suffering some 
from some mental illnesses and she was seeking um, treatment for those. And she was part of a uh, mental health support group that uh, she'd meet with regularly and also a, another uh, social coffee group that was in Newcastle that she would um, uh, frequent with a lot and became very, she was, had a lot of friends. She, she was uh, well liked. Um, she was musical. She liked to play the guitar. She liked to sing. Uh, she was a Newcastle local, pretty much, yeah, from what I understand, most of her life. So, yeah, Newcastle was, was her, her home. And you're trying to gather new witnesses, new evidence. You're back in the Newcastle area talking to people. How's that going? Well, yes, it's going, it's going quite well. We're, we're revisiting uh, a lot of witnesses who have already been spoken to by the original investigation. Um, we're looking at it through different eyes. That's how I like to see it. We're, the original investigators may have been looking at certain things. Well, we're, we're, we'll look at that as well, but we, we look at other, other things. I, I like to cast my eyes at everything. Uh, so, yeah, we're, we're up in Newcastle quite often, um, speaking to people and also speaking to people who haven't already been spoken to as well. And you're also getting an idea of other people you could be speaking to and other pieces of information that may not have jumped out previously. But in these reviews, it's about giving everything an equal weighting again, isn't it? Yes. It, um, like I said, there, there, are, there are some people that we, we, we've been spoken to that hadn't been spoken to yet. We're getting a lot of, uh, you know, there's, there's information um, such as things that may have been in the house that uh, may have been stolen, things like that. We've spoken to a couple of witnesses that we believe more than likely heard the murder occur in the street. And they were at a, actually at, at a school, a nursing school across the road, and they actually heard possibly Rosalind losing a life. And this is new? This is new. Very significant evidence. And It is. It, it, it certainly provides a, a good timeline. Um, so that, that's, that's on, on the day that we believe it more than likely occurred, which is Saturday the 19th of March. Because part of the problem for the initial investigation and yourself to this day is the fact that she wasn't located until the 3rd of April, 2005, a good four days after you believe she was murdered. Tell us the circumstances of how she was discovered. That's correct. She was located on that day. Uh, her daughter, who was living at Sydney at the time, uh, came up to the, I believe it was the Hunter Valley to go to a, a wedding. And she hadn't heard from her mother for quite a while. So she went in to uh, check on her mother and she's managed to get uh, knock on the door and the flatmate that was actually living with her mother was home at the time. And Mandy is, is Rosalind's daughter's name, um, managed to get into the house and actually find her mother. Found her in the bedroom with a doona over the top and she, due to the... Uh, the bad, there wasn't quite a bad smell in the air and a lot of flies. She had a really bad feeling about it and went and called the police. And of course, when the police arrived there, they confirmed the bad news. Because um, how was how was Rosalind discovered? What was the condition of her body and, and what, what evidence was there of what she'd been through? Yeah, Rosalind was murdered. She was murdered by strangulation, by ligature and stabbed multiple times. What do the injuries tell you about the nature of the offender, if anything? Well, it's a, it, it appears to be a frenzied attack. It, it, um, it, the ligature may have been used first. The stabbing 
associated with it. Uh, it was a, you know, a, a very appalling act of violence. Strangulation and knife murders tend to be quite personal, delivered up close and personal. Was there a, a feeling that this person knew Roslyn or could there have been a random element to this? I like to keep an open mind. Look, there there is a lot of literature that, that suggests that a, a, a frenzied attack is more indicative of someone with a with a personal connection with with the victim. Uh, that may be the case. I mean, as you say, you keep an open mind, but you've you've got a range of of persons of interest in this investigation. What's the next step uh, for you? Our next step is 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 really to what we're doing now. We are going out. We're re-interviewing people who have already been spoken to. Where there's other people that that have not been spoken to. We're looking at all the the victimology is very important with this one. Now, Rosalind and 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 a flatmate were did did have some some male acquaintances that that were visiting leading up to the murder. Now, that, it's, I'm not saying that that it was happening all the time. It was. And we've we've identified most of them, and some are some are actually not around today. That some are, some have died, well, and a, a lot of them from the original investigation had had their their DNA taken voluntarily. It hasn't hasn't come up to a match to the to the pro, the male profile at the scene, so it's it's still an ongoing search. One of the good, one of the big advantages of this case is uh, Rosalind's daughter Mandy Deer has been very active in in seeking information setting up facebook pages and so on and so forth has that been useful to you because i mean there's somebody out there that you haven't spoken to yet that's right look look we've 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 met with mandy she's provided us with with some insights into more around the circle of her mother's friends and and what Roz was was telling her 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 friends which is of interest to us and I, i don't want to go into that but it's it's something that we're we're closely looking at that it, it may may provide answers, it may provide a clue into where we may be looking at. So it's again, I'm I like the ABC principle: assume nothing, believe no one, check everything. So that's exactly what we're doing, and it's it's a it's a very methodical process to make sure that we're we're not missing anything. I think it's pretty obvious you can't be direct about what you're saying, but you're making progress in this case. There is some momentum in this case after some years, and now it's up to the public and the people who knew Roslyn Ray to come in, get involved, pass this information over, because that's what you rely on. You're not going to find it, with all due respect, Pete, on your own. You need those people who knew Roslyn and her associates to now come forward with information that you know they haven't shared thus far, correct? Well, it's, it's vital. We, we're speaking to a lot of people, but there, if there are, are people out there that knew Roz or knew people that were, were with her, we'd like them to come forward and, and, and approach us. And uh, there, may, there may be people out there that, that may have overheard people talk, talking about things that they knew that they were associated with her um, to come forward. They're, they're, the, they're the kind of people we would like to speak to. Um, it, it's, it's a, there's a, I mean, this this case here, I've got a spreadsheet going with all the, the people that have been spoken to and who we need to speak to, and it, it grows, literally grows by the day. Um, there are some people who are dead. Now, they, they are people that, that they're of interest to us. Obviously, we can't speak to them, but we'll be speaking to some of their close family members to, to see if they've uh, they've heard something. that, that, that at, at the time, there may have been something said that's, that's significant around that time that that person overheard that could potentially solve this case.
Yes, because I reckon you probably have a message for the person of interest or persons of interest that one way or another, you should never expect this is over because there might be a knock at the door. Absolutely. For the person responsible out there, for the person who knows who it is, um, it's best to come forward because we will find you and we're not giving up. I'm going up to Newcastle from Sydney pretty much every week talking to people. The more I, the more I go up there, the more I'm finding out. And it's, it's just a matter of time. I, I never give up. Um, I can't promise anything, but it's, I can tell you now that this is something I won't give up on. So how can people get involved? If they have some information, what should they do? Probably the best is to call Crime Stoppers, one 800 0 They can remain anonymous. The information will come directly to myself and my team and we'll act on it. And like I said, we, we leave no stone unturned. Any, any phone call that comes in about that, we will, we will get and we will review very closely. Now, you have one of the great captain coaches of Homicide in Australia working with you, Detective Superintendent Danny Doherty. What advice has he given you? What mentorship, what guidance has he given you about being a successful homicide detective? Don't give up. We, I'm, I'm now at the unsolved uh, homicide team. I was, I was on the floor before and uh, it's, the, it's the same old, we just don't give up. We just keep going. That's Detective Sergeant Peter Rudens on the murder of Rosalind Ray. There's a family that's been waiting for answers since 2005. In a moment, we go inside the New South Wales Police Academy. Now, a message from our sponsor. Police Bank is offering up to $4,000 cash back with any new refinance. Simply refinance your existing owner-occupied or investment home loan of $300,000 or more from another financial institution to qualify. This offer is available to applicants who apply and are approved up until the 3rd of May, 2023. Eligibility criteria applies. Please see the terms and conditions in the show notes for more information. This segment is sponsored by Charles Sturt University, providing education for police and law enforcement. Every policing story begins here at Goulburn, about 200 kilometres south of Sydney at the New South Wales Police Academy. Recruits spend 16 weeks at this state-of-the-art facility, considered one of the world's top police training centres. The students undergo training in everything, from drills through to weapons, advanced driving, situational awareness and physical fitness. The recruits also study for an associate degree in policing practice through a unique partnership with Charles Sturt University. The aim is to produce graduates who are able to fulfill the duties of a probationary constable at the time of attestation and the duties of a constable of police at confirmation. By the end of this training, ADP 357 will be able to identify situations where referral is required to work with minimal supervision and meet all the requirements of carrying out investigations. And they'll understand what the brand of the New South Wales Police Force is all about. Each week, we'll be following this class and the staff that will train and mentor them. The motto of the Academy is truth, honesty and knowledge. And each day begins the same with a 7am parade followed by drill class. Welcome to parade. Thank you. Morning, sir. Morning, sir. Morning, Sergeant. Um, Carol, good morning. morning. Bring them in. Yes, please, sir. Road markers will advance right. Touch. Course on parade. 
My name is Tony Wade and I am the Protocol Sergeant at the New South Wales Police Academy. I've been in the job now for 22 years, 23 years in September. What does the Protocol Sergeant do? It's a very good question. Um, the first question is usually preceded by what is protocol and um, a, a simple explanation is protocol is just good manners. It's just good manners. Um, so, But what I do uh, on a practical level here is I um, oversee behaviour, dress, bearing um, and just the overall conduct of, of policing students and police on site as well. So if we're looking at policing students, um, they're all pretty much deer in the headlights unless they've had military service. Those people, they get what they need to do down here in order to succeed in the course. Most others, takes a little while for them to get a grasp of what am I doing here. Yes, between mm. that decision, which is probably full of emotion and expectation and hope, and suddenly on the ground here, and they meet you, their first sergeant. Yeah, they do, and, 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 that's, and that's confronting for them, and I make sure it's confronting. I, I think it's important, and I, I say to them in my introductory lecture that um, they'll never have to worry about understanding whether I'm upset with them or not, because they'll know implicitly when I'm upset with them. And the second thing I say to them is that it will be confronting for you to have a sergeant in your face, in your personal space, and you probably won't get it at the time, but somewhere somewhere down the track, sometime down the track, you're going to understand exactly why. Everything's set out very, very clearly what I expect of them. So I expect them to listen. I expect them to pay uh, careful attention to instruction. I expect them to carry out the instruction when instructed, and I expect them to think. Outside of that... Tony Wade is the recruit's first sergeant. His aim is to set a tone in discipline and respect that will carry these police through their careers. He makes no apologies for maintaining rigid standards. Are we talking about, talking about flags? Yes, sergeant. Can we, can, can we, can we make an appointment to do that? Because that's probably going to take, take a few moments. Okay. Yes, sergeant. Yes, 11.30 today. Okay. In my, yes, sergeant. In my office, I'll see you there and we can talk about flags. Okay, sergeant. Thank yep. you. You're welcome. This is a closely kept secret, so don't, don't let this out. But in the early weeks, I really do give them hell. And then I gradually, as they begin to earn our trust, I gradually pull off the pressure, pull off the pressure, pull off the pressure, until we get to the end where we're basically having a conversation and we are, and we are working together rather than the sergeant and the policing student. And that's the stage that I try to get at. Five weeks in, the pressure is still on. Who wants to be here? Everybody, awesome! Awesome, thank you, put your hand down. But I'm not seeing it. I'm not seeing it in your eyes. I'm not seeing it in the way that you move around the place. I'm not seeing it in the way that you attack your duties. You're not attacking your duties. And we're clear. Shit day at the New South Wales Police Academy. Your chance to get up there and attack your duties and go, wow, I'm going to be the best cop in the world. That's what I want to see, but I'm not seeing it. Show us what you've got, because I know it's in there. Thank you very much for your time. See you later. Thank you. They need to understand from me that, that I'm where the buck stops. And I don't appreciate sergeant shopping. I don't expect them to go and get a different answer from somebody else if I've given an answer. There is a chain of command, and if they don't like what the sergeant said, unless it's <laughs> unreasonable or unlawful, they're not going above my head, because if I find out about it, which I will, 
there's going to be a world of hurt. And, and generally, I'm very well supported by our commanders here. So against that backdrop, we live in a world yeah. of we live in a world of individualism now. People mm-hmm. encouraged to think, yes. question orders and so on and so forth. I tell that, that that we're looking for people who are disciplined, and people who are focused. Um, my my focus is the drill square and their general behaviour outside, but this carries on into all of their all of their aspects. And what I'm talking about here is I believe that drill is a very, very good barometer for how they're going to behave. Why? Because drill is probably their least favourite subject. Sully, as you work, this is not a Mexican wave. One come command, back, come back. back. One command, one movement. I want to see how they're going to react to things that they really don't want to do. And sometimes it gets to the stage, if I'm finding that I have a lot of attitude coming back, that I'll sit them down and I'll talk about the policing role and the things that they do want to do in policing, the things that they don't want to do in policing. How many people really want to go to a domestic violence incident? How many people want to go to a violent assault? How many people want to go to a car crash where people are crying, injured, possibly dead? But you have to do that, and you have to do it with good grace, and you, and you have to do it with professionalism. And that is what we are trying to get into them, that a lot of the things you do in policing is not glamorous like it is on television. It's more than just marching up and down. It is about learning instinctive obedience to lawful words of command. Absolutely it is, and those are going to carry you through. And I, and I tell them, you know, if you, if you work in a bank and something messes up, there's a good chance that you can fix that and nobody's going to have too many problems with it. But if something goes badly wrong in this job, it will go badly wrong and sometimes there's no coming back from it. So you just have to accept that sometimes you just need to listen and do. There is opportunity afterwards for you to sit down with whoever gave you that direction and say, I didn't quite understand that at the time, can you explain it to me? And we're happy to do that. But at the time, you need to do this right now. These recruits go home each weekend. It's a welcome recharge as the challenges placed before them increase. We're still in the early days, but they have come from the online instruction with an instructor who they've had a good laugh with and built a nice rapport. Oh, I know a cop. They're really cool, which they are. There's no, there's no disputing that. But the first slide that I show them in my PowerPoint presentation is a, is a montage of the public of New South Wales. And I said, they are ultimately who you, who you report to. And they expect and deserve the best police force we can possibly give them. They expect you to be on all levels their servant. And in the true sense of that, that word, what we are starting to do with them now is starting to get them into the, into the mindset that it's not about them anymore, it is about the public. They've got to take their focus away from, well, I'm doing this because it's a good job. Yeah, it is a good job. I'm going to get good money. Yes, you are going to get good money. All those things you can get somewhere else. You are now going to have to turn your focus to to the public. And I hate to tell you, but the public's not always going to be very happy to see you. Well, indeed, some of those um, masters, if you like, will be very angry. And I think that's one of the tests. But you're going to have to look in the face of an angry man eventually. And it might as well be the sergeant first, do you think? Yeah, it's a, that's a, a good place to start. And, and thank you for raising that because... At the end of the day, and I do tell them that I'm on your side. Yes, I might get cranky with you. Yes, you might question why I'm doing that. But at the end of the day, I'm on your side and everything's for your good. You need to get acclimatised. You might as well do it in-house before you go out there and 
and face the rough and tumble. Are you going to lose a few, and do you already know who they are? Uh, you can spot them fairly early, uh, and it's always interesting when I talk to uh, other coordinators that they're having the same problems with exactly the same people. There are times when I have, have a group of students in front of me that somebody is just not pulling their weight, and I focus on them, and I make them, I make them fight, I make them swim, because otherwise they're going to sink down and they're going to drop, it, drop out, and I won't accept that and their colleagues can't accept it because they can't have people just dropping off. They, they need everybody in the fight with them. Their midterm exams will be coming up for them. But this is the first time that they've been tested since they've been here, and um, that's generally a fairly stressful time for them. And a full parade, I think, as well? Attestation in 28th of April. Students come and go. Yes. The sergeants stay. How do you reflect on your time preparing these people for these roles? What are the important moments for you? The important moments for me are the emails that I get from them. Um, I remember you said this, and I think that's magnificent. Thank you for the you know wonderful parade or whatever like that. I've had emails from policing students who who reference the sergeant role from movies that they'd seen and they didn't understand it at the time, but they now understand it. And now that they're at the other end of of their course, now they understand it. As a police officer in the command, I had influence on that area that we were policing now I get to have influence on the entire state so hopefully something that I've said to somebody or done for somebody or acted in a way that they've modeled and taken out to the commands is is, is being used anywhere in the state yeah. so that's how I reflect on it Sergeant Wade leaves a lasting memory on his students James Jin went through the academy under Mr Wade's tutelage we just try to stay away from him if he's in front of us, we'll just take the next turn and uh, we'll try to have your haircuts um, to the lowest just to avoid him, to, to yell at us. And, and plus, uh, I'm a bit scared of um, him as well. So I'm like, oh, if I don't have to talk to him, I, I won't talk to him. Any reasonable direction, you should follow. Obviously, if you have your own opinion, you can raise with your um, senior officer. But I'd say with their experience... The reason why they're giving you this direction, um, there's a story behind it. So I'm the angry guy. I'm the cranky guy. I'm the I'm that that person whose office that you don't want to go in into because you know it's not going to end well. So I think it's important for them to have that that foreboding that if they do stuff up, if they do do things that they shouldn't be doing, they think there's going to be a cranky guy at the end of it. And I think that's really, really important. Is that who I am? No, it's not who I am. This is the role that I have been tasked to do. And I've been incredibly successful with it over the years because I think I've got the balance right between, yes, I'm really cranky at you now, but it's for a very, very good reason. And it's for your benefit. What's the role of praise in your armoury? Oh, there is... I can't put a price on it because... Because I'm the cranky guy, when they get praise from me, it's, oh my God, I can't believe that just happened. So it's almost worth double. A few moments ago, we talked about attacking the day, putting everything in, yes? 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 Okay. And yet, five minutes later, I'm seeing this. What is that? That means nothing. That's not who you are. Show me who you are.
Next week, when we return to the police academy, the students work hard to meet the physical requirements of the job that lies ahead. So the next couple of weeks is going to be pretty tough, pretty full on, unrelenting. It just gets it just gets harder and harder and harder and harder as they go through. I always say to them, their learning curve when they are here is is pretty steep, but get used to it because when you go operational, it, it, it becomes vertical. This segment was sponsored by Charles Sturt University, providing education for police and law enforcement. It's been a pleasure to bring you this first episode of Inside the New South Wales Police Force. Next week, we bring you new information on the long-running mystery of Lost at Sea, The Black Bone. To find out more about any of the products discussed on today's episode, search Police Bank, Inside New South Wales Police. Alternatively, speak to one of the Police Bank team on 131 728. Inside the New South Wales Police Force podcast is produced by Piccolo Podcasts and Media Productions. Host Adam Shan. Producers Andrew Mensel and Courtney Besgrove. For New South Wales Police, Amy Hosking and Christian Schweitzer. Original music by Anthony Bray and the New South Wales Police Force Band.